Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. And today I'm joined by Haley Nelson, my boss and vice president of content marketing at Salesforce. Welcome to the show, Haley. Thank you, Michael. It's nice to be here. So today, we're going to hear a conversation that you had with Anya Smith, CEO of TaskRabbit, all about compassionate leadership. Tell me more about this topic. You know, Michael, I think in the year and a half of managing teams remotely, we are all really appreciating the art of compassionate leadership. And when I break that down, you know, I think it's about creating an inclusive culture where people feel appreciated and they feel motivated and, you know, where leaders can really create a safe space so that people can really bring their whole self to work. And it involves a lot of listening. And um, it's been an evolution in terms of the way that um, leaders are expected to show up in the workplace. So my article kind of deconstructs that. Mm -hmm. You know, and what's the business case? You know, because you hear so much about it. I mean, there's a war for talent right now. You know, you listen to the news right now and people can't hire. And you're seeing that people are making these big life choices after we've had this pandemic. People are deciding, you know what, maybe I don't want to do the work that I'm doing or I don't want to live the way that I was living. And so now it's made it so complicated for these work relationships. How does compassion play into that? What does that really mean as, as you try to navigate this? Yeah, I think the landscape right now is such that most employers are really concerned with retention and really concerned with creating a really great welcoming employee experience. And certainly leaders who can develop teams that feel like cohesive, inclusive groups, you know, that those are the kind of companies that people want to work for. So it's important. It's a competitive advantage today. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the focus of the new Salesforce magazine, uh, Vantage Point, in this uh, initial issue, the first issue of the magazine. That's uh, right. All about compassionate leadership and teams and et cetera. Tell me a little bit more about what we're going to see in the magazine. Yeah, the magazine is an exciting new venture. It's called Vantage Point. And, you know, we're really looking to bring both sort of thought leadership from game-changing leaders out there that can really inspire people, and then also actionable insights that you can take back to your day-to-day management practice. Mm -hmm. And just to be clear, this is a magazine. This is a physical, put it on your coffee table, put it on your bedside table magazine. Is that right? That's right. It's hardcover. It's a beautiful stock. Uh-huh. It's got gorgeous illustrations. And we're, you know, we're hoping people can lean back and sit on the couch and maybe crack open a beer and, and enjoy it. <laughs> you know, it will be nice to not be scrolling and looking at a screen for sure. So how do I get a copy? You go to salesforce.com slash vantage dash point. Okay. So again, that's salesforce.com slash vantage dash point. Yeah. Okay. Haley, thank you so much for joining us today and for hosting this conversation. Thank you, Michael. Now, let's hear the conversation with Anya Smith, CEO of TaskRabbit, with Salesforce's Haley Nelson. Good afternoon, and Anya, welcome to Blazing Trails. Thank you for having me, Haley. It's so great to be here. I'm excited to see you. Anya is the CEO of TaskRabbit, which she joined after taking an incredible year off on sabbatical in Argentina with her family. But she has an incredible track record in operational roles at Uber Eats, at Airbnb, and at Walmart e-commerce. And Anya happens to be a classmate of mine 
and we go way back to the Wharton School of Business. So Anya, let's start with you sharing a little bit about your background and who you are and where you're from and tell us a little bit about your journey. Sure. And again, thanks so much for having me. It's really great to be here and of course to see your smiley face. It's always such a pleasure. I am an immigrant. I came here when I was 12, just like many immigrants, uh, had to work really hard and learn English. And uh, all those stories are, are really quite similar of walking into the grocery store for the first time and being just so overwhelmed by the choices and by how pretty everything looked. But my parents worked really, really hard, often having two jobs, doing manual labor. And, you know, it's part of the reason that I'm here at TaskRabbit and really what got me excited about shared economy space a while back is I wish that these types of platforms existed years ago when my parents were working really hard and when it was really hard to find jobs and to keep jobs and you're always asking for more hours because money is always tight and to be able to go on a platform like TaskRabbit where you can earn a meaningful income is really compelling, which is one of the main reasons why I joined TaskRabbit, but it's really one of the reasons why many of us are here today. I sort of fell upon this role when the love for shared economy space when I started at Airbnb. And really, I started at Airbnb because I looked to travel. And so it was very natural. I worked on a host side. So I really spent a lot of time thinking about how to make their lives better and how important this incremental income was to them. And I really fell in love with the concept of a marketplace. It's complex, it's challenging, and you really have to think about how to grow supply and demand in tandem. And it's really fun. And so that's really just a, a little story about me, but it's who I am. So you've thought a lot about this two-sided marketplace, both at Uber, at Airbnb, now at TaskRabbit. Tell us a little bit about your challenge at TaskRabbit right now, coming in as CEO. You started, how many months were we into the pandemic? We were about six, seven months into the pandemic. Okay. Yeah. And you, it, it's your first time being a CEO of a major company. Tell us what that was like. How did you think about starting your role, building trust, all while working remotely with the remote team? Well, honestly, it's a bit scary. It's a bit overwhelming. It was my first job as a CEO, and I knew that I wouldn't be able to meet anyone in person. I mean, we were in the depths of the pandemic, and I'm an extrovert, so generally I, I love energy of people, and I love meeting people and asking questions and getting to know them. And even though you can do that over Zoom, it's as we all have learned over the past year and a half, it's really not quite the same. I did think a lot about trust and what it means to build trust remotely. And a lot of that, what it came down to is transparency and communication and being really upfront and direct with people. And so the first part of that is going on a listening tour. So we, at the time, had about 250 employees or so, and I met with every single person one-on-one -on -one just to hear about what is important to them. What are they thinking about? What are their concerns? What are they happy about? Who is their husband or their wife? Or, or you know, how many kids do they have? And it was really nice. I always think about culture as a garden and sort of if you let it go, it'll still grow. But you may not quite love everything that is growing out there. And sometimes there are some weeds. And if you're tend to it, you've got to just be thoughtful about what that means. And so another thing that I started doing almost immediately because I couldn't see people in person is every Monday I record a video for about five or so minutes, just letting folks know what I'm thinking about, what's important, 
coming up for this week, what our numbers are looking like, what are some awesome wins that we had, what are some things that maybe have not been working. And I really received a lot of strong, positive feedback. So I think that that's been good, um, especially as we can't see each other and don't know each other as well as we would like. Another thing that we're doing, and this is actually something I stole from Brian Chesky at Airbnb, every week we release notes of our weekly metrics review meeting and what we talk about and what's important, and of our SLT or senior leadership team meeting. Just letting folks know, here's what's going on. Here are things that are not working. Here's things that we're trying to tackle. And I think that also has been helpful. So really trying to be transparent and communicating often is important. And then finally, the, the last piece of this really is recognition. And so for us, we have cultural rock stars, which we recognize once a tertial, which is a, an IKEA term. Um, essentially, we divide our year in, in threes instead of quarters. So once a tertial, we recognize someone who really goes above and beyond in exemplifying our values. And it's really a great celebration because we don't just celebrate them, but everyone who's been nominated. And it's just a really fun way to celebrate an all hands. Tell me a little bit more about that. What's a company value that you've celebrated in one of these? So um, we have four company values that are really important. And one of the other things that we've been doing is leaning into a value every tertial that is important to us. So we started by being a better neighbor. And really what that means is to getting to know our communities, both our taskers and our clients, and really being helpful and supportive internally as well. And so we want to make sure that we care deeply about our employees, that we provide them with tools to be able to take time off. We provide them with apps that help both with mental health, with ability to take time off, to meditate. We also are spending a lot of time as a company leaning into diversity and inclusion and making sure that we provide safe space for people to have conversations and discussions about these really important topics. So there's a lot that we're doing in order to ensure how we're coming together. And now, honestly, we've been focusing a lot on thinking about the future of work, which I know is a topic for almost probably everyone that you're speaking with. Yes. Tell us, how are you thinking about that? The one thing that I have learned is that it's really difficult to put policies in place because all of our views have changed so much. So for example, in the fall, we asked how many people would like to come back, if people would like to come back to the office. And then we asked that same question again in the spring and the answers almost flipped. And I think they may flip again. We don't know. No one knows the answers to those questions. And so for us, we're trying to be as flexible as we possibly can. What would be your advice for leaders on kind of how do you bring that flexible mindset to the job as CEO? That's such a great question. I think for me, it just means being open and always asking questions and not necessarily the why questions, but also the how questions, the what questions, um, diving deeper into the underlying intentions. It's really important to recognize that change is happening. We also have gone through a change management training and change management leadership to better understand how to get our teams ready for the amount of change that's happening. But in the end, not everyone will be on a bus with you. And that's okay because as things are changing, people have other ideas and that's fine. But you have to really take care of the people who are still on the bus and who are super excited and bring them along and motivate them in ways that were different before, right? So you've talked a lot about listening and understanding and trying to understand 
where your employees are in their mindset, Anya. I want to take a step back, focusing on our theme. Tell us a little bit about how you view the idea of compassionate leadership. So it's actually something that has evolved a lot in my mind. So I would say looking back on my career, especially my younger self, I felt that I was compassionate, but looking back, um, clearly, no. And really, um, there's few things that happened and, and really a lot of strong mentors and leaders with whom I worked that helped me to become way more self-aware and think about how to put myself into someone else's shoes in ways where it doesn't shut the conversation and doesn't actually create a space where people get frustrated. It's just an unproductive approach to be able to just sort of show your strength in that way. And instead being an active listener where you're not listening with the intent to reply, but you're really listening with the intent to understand. And it's a small difference, but it really does sort of manifest itself in meetings and conversations that you have day in, day out. So understanding that intentions and really being open to change, being open to changing your mind as well. I think it's really important to know that, you know, a long time ago or earlier in my career, for example, I would really often rely on data to drive my decisions. And it's not that I don't rely on data, but I don't solely rely on data. And in fact, I would say less and less as I recognize that there are many other factors that get played into my decisions. And so all of this really does come back to decision-making. If you're able to listen and if you're able to trust and if you're able to sort of understand the underlying intention, I think you're able to make decisions quicker because there's that trust and you don't keep asking people to come back with new data and new information. You get aligned quicker. And so I think that that's really important. So to me, being a compassionate leader really means you're trying to get to a place where you're both understanding that even though you may not agree, you're coming in there from the same place. Wow, there's a lot to unpack here. It sounds like you've really worked to evolve your leadership style and had some great inputs along the way to bring you to where you are now, which is really leading with empathy. Could you tell us a little bit about some of the influences on your leadership style? You mentioned mentors or other leaders. What were some of the inputs that were most uh, helpful? Again, it started with, I mean, a very simple conversation that I had with Brian Roberts, who is now the CFO at Lyft, and he used to be my manager at Walmart. And I came to him once saying, I was actually, at the time already, had moved on from his team, was working on a different team, and I got some feedback. And the feedback was, well, Anya, you're just too direct sometimes. And and then people like, you know, take you to, you're too serious. And I just didn't quite understand the feedback. Like, what am I saying wrong? And I would always want examples. And I talked to Brian and Brian just said, look, you've got to be a lot more self-aware. It really comes down to self-awareness. And when he said those words, it was very poignant. And I started doing research on what does that mean? And And, you know, now we talk a lot about this all the time, but really it was, I was, you know, already in my thirties in my career when like someone really put that front and center to me. And so I have spent a lot of time thinking about this. There are a few people that I always read and think about. I think Conscious Business by Fred Kaufman is one of the best books written on this topic. What You Do is Who You Are by Ben Horowitz is also excellent. 
And then, of course, I, well, not of course, but I've been following Adam Grant for years, one of the professors from Wharton, which you would probably know. Yes, we are fans. We've had him as a guest on the podcast, I believe. <laughs> I'm curious, I want to go back to coming into TaskRabbit as the new leader. Thinking about culture was such a high priority at Airbnb. It was done so well in many ways. And I'm just curious how you thought about kind of looking at the existing culture and thinking about shaping it, evolving it, changing it. How did you approach that? Well, so I feel I'm very fortunate. I inherited an amazing culture from Stacy and from Leah, who set it up before I got here. So really, for me right now, my focus has been to maintain the amazing culture and to continue to cultivate it in a way that it will keep flourishing in positive ways and really impacting our employees in positive ways. And so, for example, the anti-racism work has been really important to us. So whether it's having those conversations or town halls, it's having the real discussions, it's ensuring that on our platform, we speak with an inclusive voice, our brand speaks with an inclusive voice. All of these are initiatives that I have continued to either to develop or, or we've started in order to pave a path forward in this way. I think as we keep scaling and growing as a bigger company, we're going to have to look at a continued investment in ways that maybe we haven't before. And I think this is when Airbnb has really done a great job. And so there are a lot of lessons there, but you know, it's even small things, making sure that there's right career paths for people. It's ensuring that we're learning from failures, that we have a an environment where people feel that it's okay when things don't go well and they can share it so that we can all learn and that those um, conversations are celebrated it's the only way to actually keep going and growing and innovating. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think that's such an important mindset for growth. How do you think about sort of teams and team building and facilitating the way that people work together? And how has that gone remotely? I mean, we've doubled down on it remotely, right? So we have got a sort of very similar things that people are doing, I think, elsewhere, right? There's the happy hours, there's team trivias, there are team games. We've actually used a lot of Airbnb experiences for this, which has been fun. We've made sandwiches, made chocolates, and made all sorts of stuff. I do believe, though, there's nothing like being in person. Those little conversations, really sort of seeing the entire, being able to read the entire body language and just looking at the screen, I think we're getting pretty antsy at this point. And I think people are keen to see each other. So I'm looking forward to the fact that we're opening the office, at least in a flexible way. And so for people who are seeking more connection and for teams that want to be collaborating more in person, we're providing the freedom and the space to do that. And so I'm excited about that. Yeah. We've also learned a lot in this past year and a half of being at home in terms of things that were better. You know, What were some of those things that you think were better under COVID? Hmm. I mean, that's really hard. <laughs> Look, the ability to very quickly be able to meet with people who are external, I think that's better. It's expected. I think it's allowed us to, I've been able to bring in some speakers, that's easier, because it just allows us to be able to very quickly connect. Fabulous. How did you continue to expand in international markets during COVID? That must have been a bit tricky. 
It was really tricky. In fact, when I started, I that was one of my first questions. Like, are we sure we want to launch still now in Portugal and Italy? And by the time we were launching in Italy, they were just going into their third shutdown. And I looked at the team saying, are, are you guys sure? Because this doesn't seem to be like the right time. And they said, no, no, no. We've done this already before. This is going to work. And in fact, it worked so well that we sort of underplanned. And so um, we've been working very hard to make sure that we have enough taskers because the demand has been exceeding expectations by three, four X, even in a pandemic, even during a lockdown. And so there's just a lot of help that people need around their home. And as our goal is to make everyday life easier for everyday people, I think that as people spend a lot of time trying to make their lives better, TaskRabbit can really be there for them to help them do that. I bet I can imagine people sitting at their work from home workstation and seeing all these projects around them that they wanted taken care of and thinking, I'm going to call TaskRabbit. That's exactly right. I mean, home improvement projects have skyrocketed. And so, you know, whether you are getting new um, furniture delivered and you need to have it assembled, which is happening all the time, as you know, sort of furniture sales have gone through the roof or you need some light is not working in your house or you need your TV mounted or you're kind of looking at your backyard thinking, oh, my gosh, I can do a lot more here. TaskRabbit can really help you with all of those needs. And so actually the pandemic has created a lot of opportunities for us. What about work-life balance for you? Was it better during the pandemic? I think definitely in some sense, right? Because you do take out the two hours a day of commute time. One of those hours went to working out and one of those hours, unfortunately, went back to work. But, you know, to be fair, I also miss the commute. It was a great transition time for me between the craziness of my home and the craziness of work. It was a space where it was just me and I could do what I needed to do to feel my whole self and to get ready for whether it was the transition into the office or transition back into my house. And whether that was catching up with a friend or listening to a podcast or listening to an audiobook or whatever it was, it was a time that I enjoyed to myself. I agree. I, I miss that as well. And you're a mom with three kids at home. I'm a mom with two kids at home. And, and I think that transition time to and from work was so important for me to get my head in the game and the right space right from my mind. Right. And that's been difficult. It has. And I mean, frankly, by the time I'm done with work, when I close my computer, I just step out of my room and there's the zoo of my family. And it's really hard to do that because I, that means I've had no time just to think. Whereas, you know, before I got to drive and think about lots of things, or I got to be on the BART and think about lots of things that are going on. And by the time I showed up at home, I was excited to see everyone. Um, not that I'm not excited to see them now, but it is different. Where do you do your best thinking? Where do you really find those moments of white space where you can just think big about the challenges you're trying to solve at work? So honestly, during COVID, it has been running Almost every day, I, I did three to four miles first thing in the morning before anything. And it was sort of my time to think since the commute time was kind of gone. I do worry, like, can I go running and say hi to my kids and shower and get ready and get to the office on time? I don't know what time I would have to wake up, but I, you know, people do it. So I'm going to be ready for that when we go back, at least even part time. 
How do you model that work-life balance for your company? How do you sort of set the example? It must be hard. It is hard, but I am fortunate. I mean, I have to say kind of what Cheryl Sandwork has said, having the right partner is a key in this. So very early in our careers, my husband and I decided that we had this formula. And the formula was that each job one can have goes from one to three One, meaning you're working part-time or really not working. Two, you have kind of a quote-unquote what we call normal job. And three, you're in a very intense job that requires like 60, 70 hours a week. And what we decided very early in our marriage is that we never want to be above a four between the two of us. So in some sense, you could be a six, but then that would really, I don't know how to make that marriage and family work. You could be a two, I guess, if you're independently wealthy or you no longer want to work. But we really try to maintain that balance. And it's not possible to do it. It comes in ebbs and flows, right? So sometimes one of us just took on a new job, which meant the other person had to step in. Sometimes I was pregnant and so I could still work. But then once I was on maternity leave, things changed again. And so, but we really try to maintain that balance. Yeah, it sounds smart. You know what you need and you do what's right for you. I love that about you, Anya, your intentional decision-making processes. They're fascinating to me. Tell us a little bit more about that and designing your life. I feel like you've done that amazingly well from your decision matrix of spending a year abroad to your decision calculus of what role to take on next. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, thank you, Haley. That's really a nice compliment coming from you. I guess I would start with saying it's an extremely privileged thing to be able to do. And I recognize that fully. Not everyone has the opportunity to quote unquote design their life. But many of us do and still are kind of bogged down by inertia oftentimes. It's hard to sort of accept change or to create change. And so it's easier to kind of keep doing what you're doing if things are kind of going okay. But, you know, I think being intentional is really important. And so there are many decisions that we've made along. And when I say we, it's my husband and I, about the life that we want to lead that really come down to planning and thinking about ahead of time and saying, look, this is what we'd love to do. These are our goals. They may not work out, but at least that's our goal. And sometimes these goals were five years in advance. We had no idea what we were doing when we were just brand new parents. Like looking back, you know, in some sense, we were so naive about this or that. But at the same time, even then, we knew that having sort of goals or dreams that we want to get to was important. Not always something we could follow through, but at least going towards one direction. It's similar idea or similar thoughts that I give to folks that I mentor or my team is it's really important to have a goal. And that goal may change anytime. You may decide next month that you may decide now that what you'd want to do is do product marketing. And you may decide next month that actually when you dug deeper into it, you'd prefer to do straight product. And that's okay. But it gives you a pathway to see, okay, well, what skills would I need? What ones do I have? Which ones do I have to double down on? And what are my weaknesses? And how do I get there? And it's like that with a lot of things. And then you may find out, well, actually, What you really need to do to be a good product manager is be a planner or be really strategic. And actually, I hate that. What I prefer doing is just pure execution. And so, and that's okay, but it gives you something to work towards. 
And so that has been really the core of being intentional about what we want to do. And what goal are you tracking towards now? What's what's on your list? Well, I can't really reveal everything, but I definitely, um, right now, what I'm really truly focused on is making sure that my team is set up for success. And we've just finished working on a more long-term vision of where we want TaskRabbit to be in 2025. And my goal is really to make sure that the team is set up for success to deliver on that goal. And there's a lot that we have to do at TaskRabbit to get there. And so I'm focused on making sure that we have everything that we need in order to get there. Me too. Anya, what do you think is kind of the one piece of advice you could give to leaders on, you know, how do they lead with compassion in a way they might not have considered before? So I think the one piece of advice that I, and it's sort of the old and true, but there isn't one sort of recipe. You have to be authentic to yourself and who you are yourself. So I'll always be a quite a direct leader. And I, I, it's really hard to sort of go against the grain and try to change that. So I have to be authentic to who I am as a leader and do what makes me the best leader that I can be. And I would encourage others to do the same as opposed to try to find a mold that they want to become, because I think that's generally really hard to do and it's tiring and it usually doesn't quite work out well. So yeah, authenticity, transparency, communication. How are you going to take all of those things into your second year of being CEO of TaskRabbit? What are those big media challenges on your plate right now? So there's a lot that we're doing. I I think I mentioned that we've pivoted our strategy a bit and um, we're seeing some really great, exciting numbers. So the past couple of months, we've hit our highest global net revenue in one day. We've had a record number of jobs and the highest monthly net revenue ever. This was in April and in May. And there is just a lot of exciting opportunities to continue to help taskers do the best job that they can on our platform to make sure that clients have seamless experiences, to make sure that we continue building a strong relationship with IKEA, one of our key partners. And I think through all of that and our continued expansion internationally, we're going to be able to drive growth like we've not seen before. And I'm really excited about the future. And I am sure... You will. Congrats, Anya, on um, being such a fabulous leader with such a clear sense of, of how to lead. And it's wonderful to talk to you and get inside the mind a little bit. And thanks for being such an inspiring friend as well. Um, thank you, Haley. Um, of course, love having you as a friend as well. And thank you for having me. And um, I really enjoyed our conversation. That was Anya Smith, CEO of TaskRabbit, in conversation with Salesforce's Haley Nelson, Vice President of Content Marketing, discussing compassionate leadership, a topic we explore in Vantage Point, the new Salesforce magazine. To request a copy, go to salesforce.com slash vantage dash point. I'm Michael Rebo from Salesforce Studios. Thanks for joining us today. 